you looking to pursue excellence and take your success to the next level? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to Excellence Mindset with your host, Ryan James Miller. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast. Uh, though you will hear a few episodes uh, in the new year, this is actually the first episode that I am recording in the new year. So happy 2020 to so many of you. I'm going to say that quite a few different times and I'm looking forward to uh, sharing an upcoming episode. Um, actually, you'll have heard it uh, before you hear this one. Uh, and uh, you'll have heard a lot of uh, just kind of my review of 2019, what I did when I trashed my 2019 goals and went at that year from a focus on habit and discipline, how I've carried that into 2020 and how much fun that's been. So I'm super excited to hear the feedback on that. Again, I will have already heard that by this time. Uh, but today, uh, I am really excited to have with me Ryan Sprantz. He is the founder and chief strategist at Kaihatsu Media. Uh, so Ryan, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today, man. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Uh, so, um, I always give a very formal, uh, straightforward bio. It's literally just a title. Uh, so I know that, uh, you're working in a couple of different areas, uh, but if someone meets you off the street and they ask you, what do you do? What are, what are some of the ways that you typically respond? Yeah. So I, I own two digital media agencies, uh, which I started, uh, the first one officially launched, I guess you can say May 1st of 2018 when I was fired from my corporate job. Uh, prior to that, there was about three years of building an audience and being an influencer, which really gave me sort of the groundwork of understanding social platforms before I launched into agency type of work. Okay, so one is Kaihatsu. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep saying that. I'm just going to crush that name. I, I, was so, I was so doubtful of myself, and now it just feels so natural. You're doing great. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> and there's a story behind that name as well, if you'd like to hear it. Yeah, I actually, I do, because I noticed in your LinkedIn bio that you also uh, have a, a business in the uh, real estate world. Uh, that uh, uses the same uh, name in part of it. So what, what is that? What, what, what does it mean? What's behind it? I got to imagine it's, uh, there's sure. something interesting there. Yeah, well, I, you'll be the judge of how interesting it is, but I'll <laughs> tell you the story. So uh, kaihatsu means develop uh, in Japanese. So okay. several years ago, I worked for Apple and I was head of the world's largest Apple store in Grand Central Terminal, New York City. Wow. Uh, it was a store that had 350 some odd employees. We did over a quarter of a billion dollars a year in sales. And um, they had a program where they would hire about 60 people a year to be in what they called the Apple Store Leader Program. So they would go to and recruit from essentially the best schools in the world and they would get, you know, 50,000 applications and they would pick, you know, 50 to 60 people to join this program. And uh, they put them into a two-year program where they would learn everything about the Apple Store, everything about Apple. And at the end, if they did well, they would be offered a leadership position. Mm -hmm. I had the unique good fortune of running that program for wow. the New York group. Um, and we had about 20 or so in New York. And what I was trying to do at the time, the iPad was sort of like the biggest thing and the biggest device that was out there. I was using the iPad and apps that were created specifically for the iPad to pull knowledge-based things together. Uh, I used Flipboard, which later became a very uh, you know, key component in what I developed, but I used Flipboard to try to find leadership articles to store so that people can read them. 
uh, an app for TED Talks and things like that. And I was trying to figure out, you know, what's a good way to phrase this and position this. And I started to think about cultures and what is the culture that has the highest standards on quality. And that is the Japanese and, and how they manufacture and, and execute. And at the time I had an assistant that uh, was Taiwanese and spoke Japanese. And I said, Kim, how do you uh, say develop uh, in Japanese? And she said, kaihatsu. I said, well, that sounds really cool. And she got up on a dry erase board and, and drew the, the, the character letters. And, and I tried to pitch this as the kaihatsu program for this group. And Apple hated it and Tim never liked it. And we decided to not use it. And I always had that in my back pocket. And when it came time for me to name my company, I dusted it off because what I do is exactly that. We develop community, uh, communities, brands, audiences, uh, things like that. So I, I felt it, it made a lot of sense. Um, I like the fact that ma- most people cannot say it. Uh, <laughs> We're actually working on an interesting video where we walk the streets of New York and stop people and ask them if they can pronounce it. Uh, So that'd be something interesting for it. But but yeah, that's why it was selected and and that's why uh, it's called Kaihatsu. That's awesome. Okay, so totally makes sense. I dig it. Um, uh, I I don't know, just makes me want to just do really cool kung fu. So yeah, well, I can't do that either. So <laughs> sure, why not? We could try. I mean, there's there, there's no harm in trying at all, right? Right. Uh, everybody loves to fail. So uh, it's really interesting. And uh, right offline, uh, just before we got started recording, uh, you know, you said something about just kind of age and in your forties, and um, <clears throat> and then you mentioned uh, working at Apple as the iPad was first becoming. Uh, developed and you know just it made me think about and, and not even really for any kind of relevance necessarily um, but it's just fascinating how so I'm 41 uh, and so uh, you know how technology how communication of information you know how much has changed just in our adult lifetime like how old are you I'm 46 Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, same thing, right? Like it is unbelievable to think that my first couple of sales jobs, um, the internet was, uh, uh, non-existent, um, or, you know, just in its early, you know, stages of existence. Uh, I drove around on sales calls with a Thomas guide. And, uh, you know, when I had to, uh, you know, when I got lost or had to make a call or whatever, you know, I had to go stop at a payphone. And, uh, you know, everybody reminisces on that stuff. It's just so interesting to, to, to see this trajectory. And so to hear that you were at Apple during such a, a pivotal time, you know, in, in their space. So that's, that's really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, what, what you say is, is so true. I, I get uh, into conversations with people all the time and they ask about, oh, how did you get into marketing? Did you go to school for it? I said, if I went to school for it, everything I learned would be completely irrelevant because I mean, what is it? YouTube is like 14 years old or something like that. So none of this stuff even existed, Yep. you know, 14, 15 years ago. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, you know, that, that's an interesting segue, uh, at least a little bit into uh, what you're currently doing in the digital space, uh, you know, from a marketing and branding perspective, uh, so, you know, as you are, are working with organizations and doing this stuff, what are some of the uh, common challenges that you are finding with trying to, like, do you feel like there's still uh, organizations that are behind in implementing some of this technology and utilizing some of what's available to them? Like, do you see that happening still? 
Sure. Not only do I see companies that are behind in implementing it, but I still see executives that won't admit that it's it's useful and it works. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we just recently uh, signed on with uh, a company where I firmly believe their president doesn't uh, at all believe that social media is a space to really build a business <laughs> or to support that business, um, which is crazy to, to think because you can show significant results uh, for, you know, all of your clients and, and just across the board. You know, I, I heard a story once where somebody stepped into uh, a boardroom right after the election and they spent 45 minutes talking about how crazy it was that the election ended up the way it did. And then that person proceeded to try to say that social media is where they need to advertise. And that same group of people that were astonished by the end result of the election, like, yeah, we don't really think it makes sense. It's like, you just told me that it changed the face of, of the election and America as a whole, but you don't believe it's good enough to sell your widget. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. It, it, it is really unbelievable to me. Um, you know, it's interesting, um, you know, we're always trying to, um, you know, find kind of like the next latest, greatest thing. And I, and, you know, rightfully so in, in some manner, but I was listening to uh, something by Gary Vaynerchuk uh, that uh, he was on a panel a couple of uh, months ago and uh, they were asking him, you know, what, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And, you know, so he's been preaching voice and AI as like possibilities in the future. And they said, well, how much stock are you putting into that? And he said, well, some, he said, but he said, what you seem to miss is, is everybody's looking for the next thing when in reality, they need to invest the majority of their time, effort, energy, money on what's working right now. And social is it. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting when, you know, you, uh, when you post something on LinkedIn, like, so for me, for instance, you know, I can get engagement rates anywhere from one to one to 10 to one uh, in terms of my follower count versus engagement. Actually, I mean, I had a, a post go viral that, you know, I have about 8,000 LinkedIn connections. I saw 250,000 people engaged in this post, view, like, comment, whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, like, where else can you get that? And you are just an absolute fool. And I hate to say it like that, but you are a fool to not see the value and opportunity in building a brand online through social. Well, and it's and it's free, right? I, I think the the most important thing to keep in mind, and and when we talk to people about strategy specifically, is the platforms, whether it's Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, the organic platform should really be used to talk to people about your brand and storytell and go behind the scenes and do things like that. The selling part really comes in the ads themselves, the paid yeah. ads. And it's actually designed that way. You see more and more that the organic engagement drops. I mean, you've got these things today like, uh, like TikTok, for example, that you know somebody can have zero following and have one post and get four and a half million views. And that's happening, I think, on purpose because the talk is, is fueling the growth sure. of that particular app. At some point, that company is gonna make a shift like everyone else has done so that they can start to turn that into dollars and, and market cap. But for now, you know, people need to embrace it and start to build on that. You know, I had seen a post on LinkedIn. It was, it was a marketer similar to myself in terms of credentials. And he was sort of bashing TikTok and, you know, everyone's saying that TikTok's the way to go and you should get on it. And, and then he proceeded to list all the reasons as to why it isn't proven. 
But to me, that's the type of person is going to wait until it's proven. And by then it's going to be too late to build anything organic. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to, uh, I want to bookmark for a second, uh, just so I remind you, you remind me uh, on, uh, on uh, the data mining a piece of that uh, as it relates to social ad conversion. So we're going to come back to that because I think that that'll be super duper beneficial. Um, but before I go there, so you said something that uh, was really interesting to me around this idea of free. Um, and obviously we know that there's, uh, you know, it's free to use the platform, you pay for ad create, you know, you pay for ad spend. Uh, but what I seem to see happening, and I would love to hear your insight as an expert here. So what I see is, is that free has created a lot of trash because it's free to be on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Pinterest, whatever, um, wherever your business uh, lives. And so because it's free, people think that, well, I can just do it myself and I can just go on and I can post a bunch of crap and eventually somebody is going to see me, hear me, find me uh, and want to do business with me. And I, I feel like because they don't have skin in the game, uh, they are producing garbage and it's taking them significantly longer to see a good return on their social platforms because they are not investing into the platforms right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. So. That's my statement. Uh, I would love to hear what you believe uh, that to be. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter what it is, right? If it, today it's, it's free and you know, 10 months from now, there'll be a new platform that starts to take off that's also free. And there's, there's always been those things. Free years ago, you know, when you and I were growing up is print up flyers and, and put them on car wind, windshields. <laughs> right. it, it, and that could be crap as well. It doesn't necessarily mean that the, that is, is good quality, but there's, that's distribution. You know, just as anything, it's going to start with brand, understanding the brand, brand development, and really being able to add value. You know, that's, that's one, one place where a lot of people miss out and, and misunderstand that the more value that you add to people the better chance you have of people sort of jumping into your space. I mean, I'll use HubSpot as an example, okay? Not on the social side, just on the, in the web in general. Yep. So HubSpot has done an unbelievable job of becoming a content resource for dozens of things in the digital media space, okay? Yep. So when you search for something, the odds are you're gonna find either a blog post or a white paper that's created by HubSpot that can get you into some type of funnel so that you understand that they, they offer these services as well. But I used HubSpot for many years, literally as just a content resource. Yep. However, when I actually had a need for a CRM platform, they're the only ones that I thought about. So they've offered value for years. They became a thought leader. And then when it was time to convert, I was in the right position at the right time for them to take my business. And now we're a HubSpot certified partner and we've got multiple clients on them. So that's, that's an example of somebody really understanding how to properly use the media space that we have today to position yourself as a leader and offer value added content over and above the selling portion. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and I think that like, you know, we see this happening in other areas and, and I don't think we've connected the dots yet. So um, I just heard a, a report the other day uh, that once again, Fortnite 
was the number one grossing uh, uh, internet game, uh, you know, of the year, right? And so here is a here is a game, here is a platform that is offering free uh, access, free use of their system, and yet they are generating more revenue than all of these game, gaming organizations, gaming companies, and games themselves that are selling right out of the gate. And so that just goes to show that if you produce good content, if you create a good space for people to be in, if they enjoy what they're doing, if they're fulfilled by what it is, if they feel like you're adding value to them, like they will eventually pay. I mean, I am the victim of this myself. So I have this uh, kind of um, habit of uh, uh, some mindless time in my day. So I pick a couple of five to 10 minute uh, kind of like uh, sprints in my day or segments in my day in which I just want to check out and, and do something mindless. And so uh, sometimes that's like a little video game on my phone or whatever. So right now it's been this game called Golf Clash. And it's a free game, free app to download. You can play for free. The problem is, is you quickly get sucked into the fact that if you buy stuff from them, it makes the game so much more fun. And right, you can right. play for more and do more. And so I end up spending, you know, I don't know how much it is, but way more on this free game than I would if I would have just bought the damn thing in the first place. Right. So I just, I wish organizations and individuals would see that you need to build a brand, create a platform and establish a community. And if you do so, you have far greater opportunity to generate great ROI and really good revenue off of that. Well, and that goes back to, to the initial thought, right? Companies have to market that, they have to budget for that on an annual basis. Yep. Um, the larger the company, the more investors slash shareholders a company has, the less opportunity they have to create content that doesn't have a direct relation to, to return on investment. And I think that's where people get off the rails. You get these companies that are doing between 50 and $150 million a year. They're not publicly traded, but they do have investors and a board of directors. And when they go and say, we want to put you know, $180,000 this year towards content development, the first question that gets asked is, what's the ROI on that? And the ROI can't be, at least the discussions in most boardrooms that I sit in, is not, well, we need to build this thing first and then figure out how that we then deploy ads against it later. Yep. Um, we're working with a company right now, I can't give you the name, but they are very progressive in their thinking where this is the first year for them where they're going to invest significantly in creating this content, mm. knowing that on the back end, they can become a leader in their space, but it's going to take time to invest and build that content properly. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and, you know, unfortunately for you as a marketer, I think you get the shaft a lot because, you know, definitely if they're spending money on ads, there is some way to, uh, there's, there's a lot of way uh, to manage that, to measure that. But you are still left to the device of the organization, right? Like you could do a great job in building uh, a great brand for them, designing great brand, designing great campaigns. But if their sales process on the back end sucks, then you're screwed anyway. And so uh, I've tried as often as I can. So I spend a lot more time on the sales and business development side than I do on the marketing side. And so when I'm in consulting, I'm often trying to work with their marketing partners to help them tie up that back end mm -hmm. because, you know, the question is always, well, we're spending all this money on marketing. What are we getting out of it? And it's like, it's not simply a one-to-one -one 
uh, like they may think. And so it gets really hard uh, sometimes to measure that ROI well. Well, and, and it really comes down to, at, you know, in the consultant space, picking the right partners that understand it. I think in every case where I tried to force someone to, to understand it and tried to force someone to do what I thought was the right thing for them to do that they couldn't see, it usually didn't work out, whether it was because of what you said, which the back end didn't make sense, or we just didn't have enough runway to build anything where we could show value and it, it was dead before it got off the ground. I think where, where it works is when someone has a decent budget, understands it, lets you sort of run with it and make sure it's tied into the brand, you'll see over time those ads get more and more efficient and you get smarter about how you run them. I mean, I always think on the ads, yeah, there should be a return on your investment on the ad spend that you have, mm -hmm. unless it's solely about building an audience. But then from there, from that audience building piece, you go directly into how do we then convert that audience? But yeah. it's really what I said before, that distinction between the organic platforms really should be used to just brand, make people brand aware and tell stories and then leave the ads to do what they're supposed to do, which is to generate that return. Yeah, because I mean, I, I think that even when you're when you're audience building, let's just say, you know, if, if they're working with an organization like yours, who, you know, you're able to drive very good targeted campaigns for them, let's just say, then you know, you're going after the right people. I think, again, a lot of the problem lies in the fact that these organizations, like, they don't understand the lifetime value of their customer. They're not really clear on what their conversion rates are during the sales process. They don't know what their sales cycle looks like. So again, like, for an intelligent company that has done their homework on the back end, you know, they could look at what you're doing and say, okay, you're building us a community of, you know, round number, just a thousand people. And we know that we're going to convert that down to 10 buying customers over the course of the next 12 months. And that customer's worth a hundred thousand dollars to us. So we know that in a year we're going to get a thousand or a million dollar return on whatever it is we're investing with you. So then when you go to them and say, it's going to cost you 250,000 to build this, you know, to build this all out it totally makes sense because they're getting a huge return. The problem is most of them are too ignorant to know what all those other numbers are. So, you know, that it's, it's blind faith. Well, on, on the B2C side, right? We, we work with a lot of resorts and uh, that's one where you can see in your ads a direct correlation of bookings and revenue associated with those bookings. You know, and I think it's the easiest to have the conversation when you you know what the return is and what the value is it's it's very hard to discuss you know what you're going to charge and the retainer and what they're getting for it without that but if you can make a direct correlation to hey last year we did three million dollars and we've got one resort client in two, uh, 2019 that we did just under six million dollars in trackable revenue for them wow. via facebook and instagram wow that's pretty fantastic um, okay, so um, uh, now I forget if it was offline or online uh, before we started recording, but uh, you said that you also have a business uh, uh, in the data mining arena, correct? Uh, so yeah, so let me, let me explain that a little bit. Yes, so uh, I, I have two agencies, Kaihatsu okay. Media is the one we've been talking about. Um, we recently launched a secondary agency named Awestruck. Uh, okay. That is with uh, two business partners of mine, Dave Marcy and uh, Ace Collins. And um, these guys are, uh, they have another uh, organization similar to how I have. And, and in every space, every time we worked with them separately on the same client, 
we saw a significantly higher return hmm. on our retargeting. And there were, when we started to connect the pieces, I mean, they were driving very high quality traffic to websites. We were then using our Facebook to retarget to those people and, and we got the best return from it. And, and the more and more we talked, the, the more we realized we had a really perfect, you know, soup to nuts solution for people in the travel, tourism, hospitality, and entertainment space. And, you know, they do things uh, that I don't do and I do things that they don't do, right? We're, we, we're focused on really more the external, the, the, the brand building, social media, social media ads, website development. But these guys were doing the Google ads, the search, but then something specific that, that is proprietary uh, to us uh, is called uh, prospect boundaries. So, you know, we've got the ability to put a boundary around, let's say a stadium, for example. Um, if you did like MetLife Stadium here in New Jersey, and every single person that entered that stadium and left, we've got about a 49.5% success rate of capturing that device ID. And that device ID tells us that person's name, implied credit score, email address, phone number, and about 152 data fields of information. Um, and, and we're legally allowed to use that because they've opted in at some point to a contest somewhere and we can we can pinpoint point directly back to when specifically they opted in and then we can then use that data for whatever it is we like uh, we usually don't directly communicate what we'll do is we can run a combination of lookalike audiences but then also upload those lists specifically to both Facebook and and Google and would we do that we see a tremendous opportunity and a tremendous return. Uh, even just think from a competitor's perspective, right? So let's say you're one resort and uh, you know, there's a competing resort down the street or down the road and you want to know who's going to that resort so that you can market your promotions to them. You know, we can put that in and, and almost instantly as we build the boundary, we start to populate data hmm. and see information come through and then we can use that data uh, to best, uh, you know, support that client. Okay. So that's badass. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is. Uh, no, I mean, that, that, that's just amazing. And for anybody that's listening right now, I, I don't think that this is my audience, but if anybody's listening and is absolutely creeped out by what Ryan just said, uh, let me just tell you that for the better part of present day history, um, every bit of your personal and financial information is already out there, which is why when you take out a loan, uh, you get marketed a whole bunch of other loans, or when you pay off a loan, uh, you all of a sudden get all these credit card offers in the mail. Um, it, it's all out there. So quit whining about it. Just know that it's the new reality and use it to your advantage. Um, okay, so, so you're doing this. I can, I can absolutely see why something like hospitality uh, can be so important because again, I mean, you could just set a dome right over the competitor's ho hotel and, and you can get that information. What are some of the other uh, industries, um, business types that are really drawn to this data? Because I mean, I can see this being an all thing, but, but what specifically are some of the other ones that seem to be really attracted to this? So we are going to stay focused on the, the travel and tourism space, but there's an, an entertainment space, but there are so many things within that. We, I use a resort as an example, but let's say, uh, you know, for example, a, a series of trampoline parks in, in LA, if there was somebody owned 18 trampoline parks and wanted to know who specifically was coming in, 
uh, that they can remarket to those people. They can see who's coming in on Saturdays, three Saturdays in a row, and know that, hey, maybe if I offered a Saturday pass at X number of dollar membership, maybe I've got an opportunity to ex- you know, explore greater revenue for myself. So um, it's really anybody in that space. The data can be used in so many different ways and across so many industries. I know uh, my partners uh, use it very heavily in uh, w- with car dealerships. Mm. And they tell these stories of, you know, they can put a prospect boundary around every other dealer and they sat in front of somebody and were presenting, you know, what they could do and pulled up a dashboard and the GM of the dealership pointed at a name and said, I know that woman, she was in here yesterday. It's like, well, guess what? She's at Honda today. Uh-huh. So, so if you didn't close the deal, you know, she's still looking. <laughs> and, and so is that like, are there any domains off limits? Like, I mean, could you do that around a hospital or an urgent care facility or a gym? Is it all free reign? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's only there's there are some uh, government restrictions, and there's restrictions outside the U.S. as well. I mean, we do have some partnerships in Canada, but the but it's it, it gets a little bit dicier when you step out of that. Uh, but there are some restrictions, not a ton, but there are some. Hmm. Gosh, I'm going to want to talk to you about that offline because um, I mean, even selfishly, for uh, I have a business in the healthcare space and uh, target a very specific audience that I would love, love, love to, uh, uh, to be able to get some more information on. So sure. that's pretty fascinating. Um, so um, uh, we've talked a little bit about age. Uh, you uh, mentioned to me previously that uh, you got a bit of a late start into the world of entrepreneurship, and you're now writing a book about that. And so... I would be interested to know, I I think you said earlier that you got fired from a job. um, So maybe that's part of the story, but what was the draw to, uh, to do this? Because, um, you know, for, for people that are aspiring entrepreneurs, it's so glorious. It seems so exciting. It's so awesome. And yet in eight years that I've been in business for myself, I think I've had three really good ones. Thankfully, those have, two of those three have been in the last, <laughs> you know, have been recent. Um, but it, it's, it's brutal. It's really, really hard. I mean, you're only eating what you kill. And so what was it for you that really drew you into wanting to be in business for yourself? Uh, and then, I mean, even in such a noisy space like marketing. Yeah, so I, I can tell you a little bit of the story. I, I've always been someone that, has been very entrepreneurial. I, I've had businesses in the past that have failed, um, not in, in the modern day where we've got, you know, internet e-commerce, uh, where you can go and get a Shopify account and build a store in a few hours. Yep. Um, I, you know, I, I think one of the first things I did was, you know, I made $80,000 flipping beanie babies on, uh, on eBay. You know, right. I'd, I'd worked, I'd worked for a place and they're like, uh, Hey, these things are really popular. And there's a line I'd never seen lying out to buy them. Like, do you want to buy one? I said, sure. And I bought it and I created an eBay account, put it up and it was like seven bucks. And the next day I looked, it was $96. And then my brain just freaked out and said, how do I acquire like thousands of these things? Yeah. And, and then that's really one of the, the first sort of ventures that I had, but really was very much focused on growing uh, in corporate, in the corporate world and trying to you know, work my butt off and get promotions and, 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 you know, climb the corporate ladder that way. 
And, you know, I worked for one place uh, for a little over six and a half years, but every other job that I had was no more than two years. And I never really had a, a creative outlet. I think a lot of times things started great and I really wanted to create this, this sort of mini ecosystem of a culture for myself and for the people that work for me. And I was successful at doing that to a point. And then if something would happen and you'd get downsized or there'd be a new boss and it, it didn't work out. And, um, I, back in 2013, right around the time that I worked for Apple, uh, the, back when this you know, iPad was around in a big way and Flipboard had just you know, come out. If you don't know Flipboard, it's still around. This is the very first app that was developed exclusively for the real estate on the iPad. Steve Jobs was involved in it and involved in, in the sort of architecture of it. And it was made so that you can, you know, flip pages and it looked like the pages were turning in a magazine. So it was like very elegant design. And the way the app originally started was, well, you can take your Facebook login, all your social logins, all your RSS feeds and put this all in one space. So every time you woke up or wanted to catch up on things, you'd just go to Flipboard and you'd see all this content in a magazine format and then you'd have been caught up. Eventually, you know, Facebook is like, hey, I, we don't want you going on Flipboard. We want you to come to Facebook app and we want you to go to Facebook.com. So a lot of these companies started to pull uh, the API for it. In, in March of 2013, they needed to make a shift and they did. And that shift was, well, guess what? You can create, anybody can create a magazine. And that magazine could be a curation of anything and everything that you like. If I think they use an example of Pop-Tarts. If you love Pop-Tarts and there's 400 articles on Pop-Tarts, you can put them in there. You can put videos, anything you want into this one space. So I said, wow, this is a really great place for me to build a magazine around my career, which is retail operations. And then I can use that as a way to get bigger and better opportunities and jobs. And then separately, I had a bunch of bookmarks on my computer for men's style things like GQ, you know, men's health, those kinds of articles. And I said, oh, let me dump them into a separate magazine and named it The Stylish Man and came back uh, a couple of days later and realized that we had, you know, 1600 readers more than we had the night before. And I said, hold on, who's reading this thing? Like I literally just curated it for myself and learned that they had featured it uh, on the style section. There were six magazines featured. We were sitting right in between Harper's Bazaar and Esquire. And here's this little stupid, you know, collection of articles that I put together. And now I'm like, well, now I need to curate for an audience instead of just curate for myself and started to think differently about that. And around 2015, a friend of mine said, hey, you should, you should jump on Instagram because Instagram is very visual and what you're doing in the style space is very visual. So I spent 15 hours a day for 18 months like working Instagram to build Ooh. audiences and, and got really good at it and built engagement groups and all things that, you know, all the hacks that were available, you know, early in 2015, 2016, and then proceeded to do that with every other platform, Facebook, Facebook ads, Pinterest, everything. So then I had this complete sort of structure. Um, I got called by a company, a uh, sneaker company in New York, and the two owners were like, hey, how can you help us? I'm like, what are you looking to do? And they're like, we, we love your content. We'd like to get more people like that. We want to get influencers. And I said, oh, you, you hire me and I can get, find your influencers. And that was 
I want to say March of 2016. It was like our first actual deal. It was a $5,000 deal to bring in 30 influencers. I knew these people because I started these engagement groups with them. It's literally just calling up your buddy or DMing your buddy and saying, hey, you want a free pair of these $300 sneakers? I need two posts from you. And that's how it started. And then kind of got off that a little bit and really thought that I was going to build sort of the next GQ on the, on the digital side. I put my effort and my resources into that. And then more and more, I had people coming to me and saying, how do you build an audience? How do you build a following? And eventually started to take on clients. Uh, and then in uh, May, of 20, May 1st of 2018, um, I was fired from my corporate job, uh, which was the, one of the most boring environments you ever want to work, where you have to call <laughs> people Mr. and Mrs. And you had to wear a suit every day. And you'd get there at 8.15 and you'd want to just die because you now you had to be there until five o'clock. Um, and I always had this sort of creative passion and creative thought and got called by in those two people that I'm now in, in business with. And, and they're like, Hey, we're going to pitch a resort and you do social. Do you want to come with us? And I was like, sure. And ended up getting that client. And, uh, when I was fired, I walked out the door. It was a beautiful 72 degree day. It was the nicest day of the year. And it was, the it was the craziest, it was actually in Manhattan. It was, the, it was, okay. the, it was the craziest, um, it was the craziest firing ever because they're like, Hey, we're going to have to let you go. I'm like, this is the greatest news ever. Like they must have been like, who's this crazy. And, and I walked out, I walked down to a co-working space. I took a call with that client and I never looked back. Wow. That's pretty awesome. You know, you. I, 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 it, it's interesting. So, um, when I'm <clears throat> coaching, um, you know, one of the things that uh, I help uh, people to discover is what I call their freedoms. And, you know, so for some people, that's a goal and objective and outcome. Uh, but really, it's this lifestyle. And what, um, what I love about what you said <clears throat> is, I believe, at the heart of why so many people want to be in business for themselves. It's not that uh, it gets easier because in so many ways, like I said earlier, like it's, it's so hard, right? Like it, it's hard to grind. And, um, uh, on one hand you get the freedom to take any day off you want. On the other hand, every freaking time you take a day off, you don't get paid. So that's really hard. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, even when you're working with some, in some partnerships with other people, there's a lot of pressure on you. Um, but you get to march to your own dime and, and you don't have to, Mr. and Mrs. People that you don't want to, um, you get to, you know, work within your own ethic and with your own values, your own desires, you get to pursue your own dreams. Um, you get to show up and look the way that you want. Um, and so I just, I, I love that because I feel like if more people really sought after this idea of freedom, what does freedom look like to you, right? It's not handcuffs off. Now I, do, I get to do anything and everything. Um, but, you know, just finding what really feels freeing to you and what allows you to then live in, you know, whatever your calling is. So it's just, yeah, nice Lori Grenier says, uh, entrepreneurs are the only people that will work 80 plus hours to avoid a 40 hour work week. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, it's, it is so very true. And I mean, what you say is, is a hundred percent accurate. You know, it is very hard and there's not a lot of days off. And when you do take a day off, the odds are your mind is focused on, you know, what's happening in your business and, and this went bad or that went wrong. And, you know, even every time you feel like, all right, things are going pretty good, then you get hit by some sort of wave that you didn't expect. And, you know, kind of happened to us yesterday. One of our 
our clients being bought. And we're like, well, what happens now? So you, you, you don't really know. And, but it's, it's about really creating your own life and designing what you want for your life. And if you look at limits in the sense of, you know, I can't do this because of this reason or that reason, you're really starting off wrong. And I think one of the things that was interesting for me is, I mean, yeah, I had a little bit of a runway by the time I had left my corporate job. And a lot of people out there will say, yeah, but you already had a couple of clients. But believe me, it was nowhere replacing my income on a day-to-day basis. I had to build that. And I actually had to create a financial runway. I sat down and, and said, if I, if I don't take a salary for 18 months, how will I pay my mortgage and, and feed myself and, and everything else? And, and that came down to, well, I need to you know, liquidate three 401ks and then I'm going to pay all these bills ahead of time. And that's a massive risk, right? Yeah. At, at the age of 44, liquidating all of your 401ks could mean that you are poor and you're working when you're 80, 80 years old. Yeah. Uh, so it's that, it's that risk. So you know, one of the things I'm passionate about going into this year is helping more entrepreneurs or more people who have entrepreneurial desires at later stages in life realize that they can do those things if they just exercise just a little bit of pre-planning and creating what I call that runway to get Mm -hmm. themselves in a position to do things. Because you know what? You only live once and you're not going to worry about... um, you know, you're not going to worry about putting food on your table when you're dead. So yeah. why not take a shot? And, you know, and Jeff Bezos also talks about it, right? He said, you know, he had a hedge fund job when he left to start Amazon. And, you know, he's probably already making $400,000 a year back in 1991. And he already had a great job. And I think his boss even said to him, that's great for someone who doesn't have a job, but you already have a good job. And he said, yeah. you know, if, if I don't do this, I'll always wonder like, what if, um, yeah. and, and again, it's not just about the market cap and the growth. It's like, you know, financially it's, it's living life by your own terms. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and again, you know, there's a lot of wisdom in setting yourself up well for retirement and, you know, there, there's a lot that goes into that. But what I do think is, is, uh, is sad a lot of times is people live near miserably for 40 to 50 years of their life working oftentimes in a thing that they hate all for the sake of security to one day be able to retire. And for me, um, I got actually a really late start uh, in terms of setting myself up for the future just because of a lot of actually financial abuse early on in my life with a lack of guidance and a lot of other things. And so I didn't even have a 401k until I was like 36. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, you can't do a whole lot in five years, especially when you're trying to feed a family of four and you're the sole provider and you own your own business. Right. But, uh, but, but what is way more important to me is like, I I still want to enjoy life now. Like I still want to experience life. I want to enjoy what I do. I want to feel fruitful in what I'm doing. And if along the way, me doing the right things and listening to counsel and being wise, I set myself up well, so I can begin to quote unquote retire at, you know, to some degree later on. Great. But if not, like I'm not going to live miserably just so I can live the last 15 or 20 years of my life with some sense mm-hmm. of financial security. Like that's just crazy to me. Well, well and take it a step further, right? So you, you live miserably for 40 or 50 years so that you can retire, 
only to be told, well, now you can only spend X number of dollars because then you got to make it last and people are living longer now. So now you're living conservatively when you retire. So you lived miserably all your life and now you're living conservatively. Like, like it just doesn't make sense. It's just like a big shit sandwich. You know? yeah. And what I'm sure you know all too well is like when you actually get into this groove or flow state or whatever people want to call it when you're, when you're working for yourself, I mean, you can do this when you're working for somebody else too, but when you really get into this space of like, you're really doing what you love, it seems to me that you are offered a lot more opportunity to financially prosper. It just seems to work itself out that way. Maybe it's because you're producing much better work or you're connecting with more of the right people. Like there's a lot of things that go into that, but I feel like once you're there, you are actually doing the wise thing and setting yourself up for the future, all the while that it seemed like the total opposite for so long. Well, I think it's the network too, right? You said the people you're around. So if the people that you're around every day are people that work in an office nine to five and can't wait to run home like Fred Flintstone and, you know, put on Netflix and watch a beer, then that's probably what you're going to get. But if when you put yourself in a space where you're connecting with other like-minded business owners and individuals and everyone's really just trying to figure out like, how do I make this work? And, you know, how do I do what's exciting? You tend to put yourself in a situation more where you have those quote unquote lucky breaks, right? Yeah. They're not really lucky breaks. They're, you know, it's, it's a manifestation of what you put yourself in. Yep. Absolutely. Um, okay. So you're writing a book about this. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Way. I'm uh, excited to talk about that. Uh, the name of the book is, is 40 Preneur. Okay. Um, uh, inspirational stories and tactical tips for starting a business over age 40. Uh, and, and I, cause I really feel that there's probably, you know, 2 million plus people that are, you know, listening to this or sitting somewhere going, you know what, I, I would love to do that, but I would love to do that, but I don't have any other side hustle revenue or I've got two kids or I've got a sick family member or whatever those excuses are. So, uh, being able to, to harness other stories like that and to then provide some guidance and wisdom and expertise based on what I've been through, I think will help people get to a point where they want to be. No, that's awesome. I, I, I can't wait to read it myself. I mean, I think that, you know, that is just, it's something that the story needs to be told more often. And I think, you know, insight, the insight of others that have gone before you uh, can be so helpful in kind of clearing a path for yourself to at least even just begin exploring that idea. Um, and so uh, where are you at in that process right now? So I'm at the very beginning stage of the process. I, I am hoping that uh, we're looking at a September, October release date. Uh, but I do have some partners that are helping me in terms of uh, writing. Uh, I, I'm not the greatest writer. I'm not the most focused person. So I've got a, a very talented person that is going to work with me on making sure that the words that come out of my mouth are articulated in a way that that uh, is is desirable for someone to read. Yeah, no, I... I totally get that. I mean, you know, uh, uh, I have been prodded many times to write a book for a variety of different reasons. Uh, now I actually have a really uh, wonderful story to tell and uh, finally was challenged by a very close friend and colleague to, uh, you know, get your shit together and, and start writing. So I, I started and my gosh, I mean, the part you said about focus, like there's a lot of things I can get really good and focused on. Sitting down to write is absolutely not one of them. Hmm. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm just like 
dragging myself through this until I can, uh, I can either get into some sort of groove or uh, finally reach out and have somebody help me do it. But, right. <laughs> yeah. I, I did that first. I reached out first. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of wisdom there. A lot of wisdom. Uh, see what happens when you're older, you're wiser. <laughs> right. It's just a few extra years. It's like, I don't want to do this. I know. Um, okay. So outside of all of this, I also saw, which I just I wanted to ask about. So you are involved in a nonprofit uh, that uh, works with young kids around health and wellness. And I'm just broad stroking this because it was just something that I remember seeing. Um, but tell me a little bit about that. Like, where does that come from? What, what's, where's the passion there? Yeah. So, so thanks for bringing that up. Uh, I'm uh, on the board of directors of a company called uh, fan for kids, which does, does just that exactly what it's a very interesting model where they put uh, counselors inside schools and those counselors work into the curriculum, uh, nutrition and exercise. So children are taught from an early age, you know, what's, what sugars are good, what sugars are bad, what type of nutrition will help them, you know, uh, be more fit and, and more successful and feel better about themselves. And um, it's, it's a phenomenal organization. I just started with them on the board. We had our first uh, board call with me on it anyway today. Uh, I'm going to be able to help them with things that they don't have resources for. Uh, so like digital media, website development, social media. Wow. Um, normally, a, if you look at most nonprofits, uh, when you look at their, their digital presence, it's usually pretty bad. And why is it bad? Because there's no money to spend on having a talented agency do that work. And yeah. I thought it was perfect for me to be able to, to help, but at the same time, use the full breadth of resources that I have in the 11 people that work for me. Um, uh, when you talk about, you know, where's the passion from? So I had this idea a few years ago when I was in the influencer space. A, a, a friend of mine had, uh, I had a wife who had recovered from breast cancer and he had sent me a, um, a photo of a watch strap, those NATO watch straps. And it was a, a bright pink one. And he's like, hey, can you promote this with this link? And I'm like, what is this? And he's like, well, we're trying to sell these to raise money for breast cancer awareness. And my wife was uh, as a breast cancer survivor. And I was sitting there in the gym and I said, wouldn't it be cool if there was a, a network where brands can donate products and influencers can donate their, their resources, their audience time, and then people could potentially like buy raffle tickets for that product, right? So take a watch, for example, if a, if a brand donated a $400 watch and you sold 600 raffle tickets at $2 and then you gave that 100% of that back to whatever particular charity, not like a lot of these do where they take, you know, 87% in, in you, know, you know, operating costs, but taking 100% of that and giving back to a charity, what could you possibly accomplish between with the influencer space as it is today? Influencer space gets a ton of negative press for lots of reasons and lots of reasons it should get negative press, but yeah. how do you then make it a positive thing? And I always had that in my mind that I wanted to build this, this joint platform between the two and was never able to do that as of yet because I never had the resources or the time. I actually have the resources now. I just don't really have the time to invest in that. But the next best thing was how can I then spend some of my time to support an organization and I stumbled across uh, Fan for Kids and had some uh, conversations with 
the founder and the, and the people on the board of directors. And I just love the cause and I love being part of it. That's awesome. <clears throat> okay. So this is an area I'm super passionate about health wellness. Um, I have a, a, a quite an audience in the healthcare space, uh, employee benefits, health insurance brokers, uh, some of the carriers, vendor partners. And so my challenge, if you're listening right now is I'm going to put a link in the bio go check out fan for kids. I would love to see you guys find a way to get involved somehow in this because, um, I know you're, you're involved in a whole lot of other things. This is just another guilt trip to get you into this. I can care <laughs> less. Uh, the reality is, is we are watching a world die, uh, far too often by simple treatable diseases. If they had the necessary resources, to care for them. So to start back at our kids, to make sure they're being taken care of, go do some research, find a way to get involved, reach out to Ryan, connect with him. Um, I, I would really love to see you guys, particularly in this space, uh, find a way, even just to give a shout out uh, that you're looking into it yourself and call others in your community to do the same thing. So I think it's really important. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, buddy. So um, man, what a life, uh, especially considering the fact uh, that you claim to have gotten a late start on the entrepreneurial side of things. Um, just super exciting to see, you know, when I, uh, every time I get connected to somebody, particularly uh, in a space like this, I'm always very hesitant at first uh, because everybody's in marketing and mm -hmm. digital marketing and strategy and yada, yada, yada. And uh, having some time to be able to talk to you, listening to the chops behind it, um, knowing that you're working with some powerful and significant organizations across the country, uh, uh, watching you as we talk, uh, listening to the things that you say. Um, it's just awesome to hear somebody that's actually doing the right thing in a space that I believe not only needs to be accessed and utilized by every business in the world, but it needs to be redeemed in many ways. And so just, yeah, I really appreciate uh, the work that you're doing. And I personally look forward to continuing to stay connected. And I hope that through this podcast, that other people listening will engage with you, will listen to what you have to say on the professional side of things, on the personal side of things. But yeah, just thanks so much. I really appreciate the time, Ryan. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was great being here. Great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, that wraps up another episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast. As always, I'll make sure to put all of Ryan's contact information into the show notes. You can reach out, connect with him in as many ways as you see fit. Please make sure to give me feedback. I would love to hear what you think of this episode, previous episodes, suggestions, thoughts, comments, positive, negative. I don't really care. I just want to hear what you have to say. Super appreciate you. Thank you so much. Can't wait. Catch you next time. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Excellence Mindset with Ryan James Miller. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit ryanjamesmiller.com. We'll catch you next time.